Welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. And I'm Kristen Chase, and we're the founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, we're going to talk with Dr. Cheryl Ziegler about siblings. You actually asked us to cover this topic in our Spawned podcast community on Facebook, and we found just the expert to help us with it. And you know what? We listen to you. See? We do. You all give us great topic (laughs) ideas. And of course, we'll close out our show with our cool picks of the week. And we're going to be back jumping right into this topic right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Vitapod. By now, you know, you know, it's such a cool machine that makes it easy for everyone in your family to get their vitamins and nutrients all in one tasty drink. With just a simple recyclable pod, which is overflowing with vitamins, essential minerals, and flavonoids, your Vitapod machine whips up a drink in seconds. And P.S., it filters your water 10 times better than market-leading filters. The pods were formulated by a team of human health scientists with the health of your family in mind, and none of the pods contain any sugar except the sports pod, which uses sugar to aid recovery. And I have to say, with back to school here, I've got a gaggle of kids who are making their drinks to get ready for school in the morning and for sports activities in the afternoon. So you can head over to our social media feed to see the Vitapod in action. It's super, super cool. It works really, really fast and well. And don't miss our special offer. Go to vitapodworld.com. That's V-I-T-A podworld.com. Use code CMP10 for $10 off your Vitapod machine or starter kit. That's CMP10 for $10 off at vitapodworld.com. So let me tell you a little bit about our amazing guest, who some of you may actually remember. Dr. Cheryl Ziegler is a psychologist and family counselor, and she's the best-selling author of Mommy Burnout, How to Reclaim Your Life and Raise Healthier Children in the Process. She hosts the podcast, Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch. I love that. And you may have caught her popular TEDx talk, Why Are Moms Miserable? Which is a whole other topic we can get into. But yes, I feel, like, I feel like our topic, <laughs> it, there is some overlap. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> she's a regular national and local news contributor and speaks around the world on topics related to stress, parenting, mental health, and burnout. Plus, she runs the Child and Family Therapy Center at Lowry, a private group practice in Denver. So we're thrilled she's been able to make the time to speak with us today about siblings. So welcome, Cheryl. Thank you, guys. I have to tell you that Vitapod sounds amazing. I'm like, I think I'm sold. Look at that. I know. You're very influential, Kristen. Yes. It is really cool. I gotta say. It is. Like I said, my kids have been using it and I'm not nagging them to stay hydrated, which if we're talking about moms being miserable and burnout, like one of the things is reminding your children to just do the things that keep them alive, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like drink like, water. <laughs> just, just, just stay hydrated. But yes, it's awesome. But you know what? You're awesome too. Thank you so much for coming back to talk about something that a lot of people in our Facebook group were asking about. And you know what? We are hearing so much, right? We're hearing yeah. from friends and followers and networks. We're hearing about sibling relationships, especially especially now with the pandemic. We're with our family 24-7. We're with them. They're with their siblings. So curious to know, like, what are you hearing? What are the greatest challenges that siblings are grappling with right now? Because I know in your practice, you see lots of family. So I'm sure you've got your finger on the pulse of this. Yeah. I mean, I think everything is intensified right now. So anything that was happening before this pandemic just has gotten worse. So if they kind of bickered and got into things before, now they're like, 
full out fighting and irritable with each other. And, you know, one wants to rest and relax or, you know, be on a screen and the other one's like poking at them. The one group, this might be one of the only silver linings, but the older teens, I'm hearing a lot, you know, there's actually been some bonding during the pandemic. Yeah. Right. Because they're a little older and they're kind of going through something similar together. But I think some of the younger kids are, you know, either younger teens and definitely children. They're just, they're around together too much. They are bored. They have different flow to what's going on. So all of a sudden during a pandemic, when you're home way more, it really does matter. The difference between an eight and 11 year old really becomes huge on what do they want to do? How long do they want to play for? How much screen time do they get? So I think everything is just really exacerbated right now. Well, I think also teens are able to escape into their friend group through social media right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know with my kids, they can just like hop onto a group chat that seems to go 24 seven. They just pop in and out of it. I I don't know how these kids sleep or when they do, but they (laughs) seem to always be talking on social. And then that gives them kind of like a respite, if not in real life, at least it it feels like one. But I guess when you've got a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old, they're not having the WhatsApp chats. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. They, I mean, they're still kids and they still have a lot of energy and we take for granted, you realize it, how much they need to be running, biking, playing, climbing. Without that, you have kids that are really truly getting at each other. And so, yeah, some parents are worried, you know, like, are they going to get along again after this? When is this going to end? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, I hear that from a lot of parents too. And I think it's just creating extra stress. Like we were kind of joking, but it's true. And the, at the top, when we were talking about your introduction, that there is an overlap between mommy burnout and the sibling conflict that a lot of us are managing a lot more than we thought we we might've had to at this point. Yeah. I think to get us all grounded and just really thinking about sibling rivalry, at least when you think about that, what we understand that in psychology to really mean is a lot of times it is a competition for parents, love, attention, respect, admiration, even if you're not in the room, that that's Mm. really what underlies this sibling rivalry. Now things are exacerbated again because of, you know, boredom and too much time on your hands, but at the root of it, kids don't realize it, but that's what's driving them. So they call each other names. They hit each other. They make fun of one another. They act more immature together. And it's interesting because moderate levels of that are considered very normal and actually even potentially healthy because it's a sign that they are able to express and show what they need. Ooh. So mm. believe it or not, a moderate version of this is healthy. Okay, well, that's nice to hear, actually, because I know that some people, maybe it's just because like the grandparents have dealt with it before, but I feel like, like I don't know, Liz, about, I think your mom is this special, right? Because she works with kids and she's used to it, right? And she knows it. But I know like my mom in particular has no patience for it. And I know there are a lot of people who don't. They just have zero patience for any kind of conflict between kids. And I love it. You're saying the moderate level of that is perfectly normal. This is what happens. Let me just say that as awesome as my mom is, when I was a kid, I think the number one thing I used to hear all the time was stop picking on your brother. (laughs) And to this day, I say to her, you know, it went both ways, right? (laughs) Yes. 
That's so funny. Sometimes you get it right as a grandparent. (laughs) Right. But it's interesting that you say moderate levels of that are normal because I think, like you said, everything is exacerbated now. And I'll be honest, like I'm having trouble finding my footing on what's typical and what's not when it comes to a lot of the behaviors and reactions and interactions with my kids, because I'm like, is this pandemic? Is this school stress? Is it both? Is it none? And I feel like there are a lot of parents out there. So that's very reassuring for sure. Now, the big elephant question question right in the room is, do we stay out of it? I feel like you must get that question a bazillion times. You've heard it before. Do we stay out of it? I feel like you also may say it depends. So I'm like, I'm holding on to the shelf bar in my closet, (laughs) waiting to know what you have to say about this big question. Well, first of all, without exaggeration, yesterday in a session, I had a girl who's going into second grade and her mom, and she totally called her mom on it. She was like, we were yelling and we were screaming and we were actually injured and you didn't come. And the mom looks at me and she's like, I'm trying to stay out of it. I'm trying to have them deal with their own conflicts. Now that's wrong. And she's like, yes, because we were actually injured. And I just thought we were injured. (laughs) Mom guilt right there. Wow. Totally. It's like she knew what she was doing. See, what they're doing is purposeful. Whether it's conscious or not is a different story, but it's purposeful. So I don't like to use the word. It depends. I will give different scenarios. Okay, great. Um, Great. Right? (laughs) Age matters. Okay. So having little ones toddlers-ish, right? Five, four, three, and they're fighting around. I think they need you to step in because they're learning how to deal with conflict. And what I like to say is adults are actually not always great at dealing with conflict. Amen. Right? (laughs) Yes. We don't know how to deal with that. Like, how do I confront them? Do I say something? I don't know. Why should I say something? I mean, Mm -hmm. we're really not good at it ourselves. So when they're little, well, as a parent, what you know to do is to physically step in, maybe put your arms out, push them aside, tell someone to go to their room, but we have to actually model for them. And I think that's where, what my answer is going to be is if you step in, you need to do more than just, you know, cut it out. You go to your room and you go to yours. If in the moment, that's all you've got, that's fine. But eventually you actually have to think to yourself, my job during the sibling rivalry is to teach them problem solving skills and conflict resolution and communication and accepting responsibility. There's a lot of opportunity, but I think we get so annoyed and frustrated that sometimes we miss that opportunity. So I'm a fan for not always intervening. I, I'm a fan for, it's like the baby cry. You know, there's different cries, like hunger, yes, pains. Or, yes, It's yes. like, we know the different like ah, call outs. And sure, there's a percentage of time you're just going to be like, they can figure it out. They're old enough. I've put in the work. I think they have some skills. But I think a lot of the time we're intervening as an opportunity to teach. Okay, yeah, that's helpful. Noise canceling headphones, great investment. <laughs> they sh- you should add that to your registry, anyone who's having a second child or more. So what do you do if you are trying to have the teaching moment and you're getting a lot of, he did this, he did that, she did this, she did that. And mama four, Liz has four in her house often. Right. And and sometimes we can go into this later. I sometimes think having more than two can be easier in some ways. But I'm wondering, how do you handle that? Because my understanding is that you really don't want to take sides, right? You really want to stay neutral and foster their ability to be able to solve it. But it's so hard, especially when you have people who are like, you know, I have one kid who's extra loud, right? So someone is louder than the other. And that tends to get my attention 
attention more, right, than the other child who is a little softer in their explanation. So can you just share a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think the most basic thing, and every time I say it, I know it sounds so obvious, but the first thing you want to do is listen. I think parents come into stressful situations like instantly like, what happened? We listen for a few seconds and then we're like, blah, blah, blah. We're assigning some, you know, judgment onto what happened, but really slowing down the pace by listening. So first, like, you know, what frustrates you? Or this seems to be a pattern this morning. This is happening a lot. I wonder if we could do something else. So just slowing down the pace because it'll slow it down when somebody's like, I just want to listen to you and their Mm -hmm. body and their presence says, Mm -hmm. I really want to. But I think the other thing is just to really be proactive. So having family meetings, everybody does this differently. I said that last night too, to my little second grader. And she's like, we do not do family meetings. (laughs) (laughs) And her mom's like, but we talk at dinner. (laughs) She was like, yeah, I don't think that's a family meeting though. So this is a smart second grader. I just want to say, is she not? Oh my gosh. (laughs) She really is. But you know, everyone's going to be different. Whatever your family meeting is, the purpose is like, have a time where when everything's not going crazy to carve out time for being like, so how do you think things have been going? Or we don't have school this week, or we're all going to be remote this week. What are we going to do so that we all value and appreciate the time that we have together to play? And we also all get our space Mm. and we reduce the fighting over blah, blah, blah. If you instill those proactive meetings, it actually sometimes kids will say, because I talk to families a lot about doing it. They'll say, well, I saved it for my family meeting. I wanted to say something, but then I said, I'll save it for the family meeting. And so, you know, they'll start getting older and savvier and knowing like every day or, you know, close to every day, every other day, there's a space and time for me to air my grievances and also appreciate people and say something nice and get my needs met. So that's another idea I have, which is really just listening and being proactive. I love that. And I actually, I'm glad you're talking about a family meeting because for us also it is dinner. And I've talked about this before that especially when we have like the stepkids and everybody else together at dinner, we go around the table and everybody says one thing that was good about today, one thing they didn't like about today and one thing they're thankful for. Love it. And, and it's, it's helpful. Like everyone feels like they have a chance to talk. And sometimes that does lead into discussions about somebody who could do better or somebody who was being mean, whatever it is. But when is there a good opportunity to call out behavior in front of others is kind of a teaching moment. And when do you pull them aside? Because I think there's some times where I want to correct one kid and be like, hey, stop picking on your sister because I want the other kids to hear that they're not getting away with it. Mm -hmm. But then there's some times that I, you know, would pull her aside and say, listen, what's going on? Because I see you're doing this nonstop and I feel like there's something else happening. So what's the right tactic or is there Mm -hmm. not one Mm -hmm. right tactic? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of different tactics. One of the tactics I'm thinking about is, you know, the reminder to all of us that our goal is to try to not shame our kids, Mm -hmm. right? There's a difference Mm -hmm. between like reprimanding and reprimanding could be sometimes embarrassing Or it could bring tears. And, you know, I think that's a natural consequence. I kind of think that's okay. That's pretty natural, but shame is different. Right. And so here's what I like. I think if you're going to pull your kid aside, you still need to say to the other one, you know, today or right now, I actually want to go upstairs. or I want to go into the other room and talk to Sarah about this just within ourselves. And later on today, we'll all come back and we'll talk about it so that the other kid knows you are directly addressing whatever just happened. But right now I want to do that privately. I feel like it is able to tackle both issues, Yeah, right? The kid still gets Mm -hmm. talked to, but the other one knows because that's, you know, as anybody knows, that's thinking about this issue. You hear it's not fair. They never get in trouble. I'm the one that always gets in trouble. Like 
parents will hear that a lot. So not to shame, but sometimes, I don't know, like, I guess I'll do it lightheartedly if I see it starting to pick up at the dinner table. So if my daughter is picking on her sister, I'll be like, hey, what are we doing here? Let's like be nice or whatever. And then we'll kind of revert back. So I try to nip it in the bud. Like, is that okay? Hopefully that's not shaming. (laughs) No, it's totally not shaming. I mean, I think that's actually great. I'm such a fan of humor. Humor works so well. Mm, And humor has a a wide term in this way. You're just being like, hey, 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 or, you know, what's going on there? I mean, I'll be really silly sometimes, like whatever you have to do to be silly, to make it light, but to get your point across. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody has the ability to do that when they themselves are fairly regulated. Mm-hmm. It's when we are tired, burned out, stressed yes. out. Yes. We don't have it in us. Right. It's like, I'm yes. not using humor. Don't tell me to use humor. Nothing's funny here. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when you start to be like, stop fighting. You're making me crazy. Well, but even yeah. that isn't shaming, right? When I think of shaming, it's like, what are you, what are you stupid? Yeah. Why would you say something like that? Are you an idiot? Like that's oh my gosh. shaming, right? Uh, yeah. You don't no, do that. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I would, I would not. That like stresses me out. Yeah. That stresses <laughs> me out too. But I think people can get to that place. I appreciate the differentiation because I think sometimes parents, Parents are like, they should be able to figure it out on their own, right? And so even intervening, even if it's just appropriate reprimanding, feels in a way like you're intervening. And I think we kind of have to get over the fact that like kids should know better, right? I remember when we had KJ Delantonia on our show and she was talking about how like you just have to like get used to the fact you're going to have to remind your kids to do chores, right? Like it's just going to happen. It is what it is. This is what happens. They're kids. They're not going to like walk down the stairs. I mean, some of them will, but most of them are going to just need a reminder. And like, we don't want to have to remind them, but we probably will. And I think this feels similar to me, at least, is like, sometimes we're just going to have to call them out. Yeah. They're going to be annoyed. They're going to be frustrated. And they're going to do things that we feel are mean or not nice. And we're going to have to call them out on it. And that's that's just how it is. Totally. Let me give you some examples of shaming because it can be a little bit more subtle. Right. It can be a straight up, like, what are you stupid? Right. That we know that's an obvious one, but there's some subtleties that parents can get engaged in and they don't mean to, but a child experiences it as shaming. So I would say one of them is like, if you tell a secret or a story about one child, like at the table okay, and you reveal that that would be shaming. Like, well, we know who ate the last cookie. Don't we you know, uh, Stacey. Oh, okay. Okay. Kind of passive aggressive too. Like, yeah. Right. Confronting it. Totally confront. Like, let's just say you knew that she ate the last cookie. You had been asking, nobody's fessing up. And then you find the crumbs in her bed and she's like, oh my, but don't say anything because everyone's gonna be mad at me. And you're just like, okay, but you know, don't do that next time. But then you get mad and then you just say it. We know whose crumbs to be watching. We know whose bed to be looking for some cookie crumbs, you know, that kind of Uh, stuff that can be shaming. Okay. Another example would be, and I think people do this more than they realize it. Sharing details about your kid, like when they have a friend over, oh, you know, do your feet stink too? Or do you not put on deodorant either? Like oh, you're trying. Oh God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you guys clearly don't do these things. No, I probably have in some way. Like I'm trying to think, like I'm, I'm sure that I've said things, maybe not about deodorant, but I'm sure that like I've said like, so do you also never put down your phone until midnight? You know, like yes. I, I'm pro- like in a joking way. Yes. And then my daughter will be like, ho, ho, ho. But like, yeah, I, I guess I've done that. Yes. I mean, sometimes, what's shameful. It depends on your experience of it, but there's this little passive way that we can do things. Cause what we're actually doing is we're venting out our annoyances or like, you yes. know, yeah, a friend yes. comes over and you're like, oh, do your parents have to tell you 10 times to take out the garbage? Uh, yeah. Some kids, right. They might laugh about it. And other kids might be like, you 
totally mortified. Yeah, that's a tough one, right? It's it's like a fine line because you could think to yourself, oh, I was just kind of like trying to relate to the kid and I was trying to be light. But really the reason why you were saying that is you were frustrated. No, no, it's classic relationship advice, right? Like you do not bond with the waiter over attacking your partner. Yeah. You don't go, this guy doesn't know how to order from the (laughs) Right. Like like you don't bond with your kid's friend over like- Yeah, your kid's deficiencies. Right, right, exactly. So I think that's probably a good relationship advice in general, especially when it's your own child. Yeah. yeah, So let's talk about the more positive thing. Like what are some things we can do to foster positive sibling relationships so that maybe we don't get to the frustration point in the first place? Yeah. Not quite as much. Well, and I also want to add too that because a lot of this, or like you mentioned, sibling rivalry has to do with getting attention from parents, right? At some level, whether it's Mm -hmm. conscious or not. Fairness comes into play, which is tricky. I think particularly when you've got... Like for me, I'll just speak and Liz, you have experience with this as well. When there's four and you're like, I have to get everybody a lollipop. Like if one kid gets this, everybody has to get it. And oh yeah, that just doesn't work. That's just like, A, I'll be broke. And B, that just isn't feasible. So I would be curious to know, because I often think, okay, well, we need to be fair. But that's not really what fosters positive sibling relationships. Also, because it's just not possible to be completely fair with everybody, right? Well, we've talked about this before, that fair is not the same as equal. And I've Mm -hmm. tried to talk to my kids about that. Yes. So I'm not sure how you feel about that. But, you know, if somebody got a lollipop and somebody else went out for ice cream with their friends, like that's not equal, but it may be fair. Right. Totally. And I really can't emphasize this enough. It really is actually first on my list of things. So you literally took it right out. Like, Instead of buying your kids the same things, because we think they're going to avoid conflict. And that's something grandparents do a lot too, right? They'll get like three of everything, four of everything. And half of them are like, I don't even like that color. Or I don't even, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) I don't sleep in flannel pajamas, but the other one might... You know, that's one of the ways actually to improve relationships is to get unique gifts and have unique experiences that are tailored to each and every sibling. So Mm. they don't feel like I have to fit the mold of the sporty kid or I have to fit the mold of the musical child. Like, no, I'm going to get one a soccer ball and one's going to get this and the other one's going to get candy because that's what they love more than anything and I'm doing that because I value who you are as an individual, not because I clump you all together as my children. That sounds like that's also an answer to my original question about fostering positive relationships in general. I'm guessing that when siblings feel like they're getting what they need from their parents, maybe that cuts out one source of conflict between them. Exactly. And it's actually really special when they're happy for one another for whatever they got, right? The, the littlest things, like I remember if sometimes I would travel, especially when the kids are younger, and I'd go to like an airport gift shop. And I would get one a keychain and one a little stuffed animal, maybe one like saltwater taffy, right? Whatever I think they would like. And it was really cool when I would come home and they would be like, oh my gosh, that's so perfect for you. You love raccoons or whatever, you know, and they were happy for one another and celebrating the unique gift that they got. That actually makes them closer. And it makes them think too, oh, when I get gifts for people, I want to be thoughtful Mm -hmm. about, you know, whether it's getting Mm -hmm. gifts or make a card for somebody, I want to be thoughtful. What are some other positive ways that we can foster great sibling relationships? You know, I'm just trying to think of them off the top of my head, but I'm sure you've got lots of great suggestions. You know, I love the idea of fair versus equal, but what else would you suggest to parents? I think the other thing, which I said a little bit before, but celebrating differences. A lot of times parents may want to compare their kids or, you know, want them to have kind of similar interests or activities, but 
really celebrating, you know, who is the musician, who's the great reader, who's the great writer, whatever it might be. And being really happy about that helps them appreciate those things, not only about themselves, but also about one another. And they, they realize they don't have to compete for it. Right? If one kid is just naturally gifted in swimming, when they go to the pool, they don't have to be racing the pool. And then all of a sudden by the middle of it, you know, the other one's like punching the other one because they're like, I'm not gonna let you beat me one more time on those races. It's like, no, he's awesome at swimming and you're awesome at whatever you do. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so really just trying to emphasize that, like, don't feel like we have to get our kids to do the same thing. Just really celebrate who they are individually. And I think also making ground rules, like really living your values. So you have to get crystal clear on what's acceptable or not, because yes, I get yes. like the three of our families, if we were together, maybe the level of what you would allow between your siblings is different from mine. Mm -hmm. We all just need to be clear. Like in my house, getting physical, even though I have two boys, is just not okay. Like I'll say to them, that's just never okay. Mm -hmm. And in other houses, they'll be like, oh, I have your two, three, four boys and they're wrestling and tossing each other around all the time. They're fine. And that doesn't mean one's right or wrong. It's just what are your rules and be consistent with your rules so that everyone understands them. That's helpful. Although I will say girls, man, they can go at it physically. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I wouldn't limit it to boys, but I love that too. You know, another technique I just learned is to also just sort of lay out what disagreement looks like, what conflict looks like, and what the expectations are, right? So you know what? We're going to get upset with each other, especially now because we're all in the house. We've been in the house for however long. You know, we may raise our voice. We may yell a little bit, but we're not going to be calling names, right? We're not going to be hurting each other physically or whatever it is. I I mean, I haven't implemented this. I'm curious to see how that works with my family. But I think just laying it out also helps model this idea that like you will disagree with people you love. You will argue with people you love in love relationships, in friendships, sometimes at work, like whatever that will happen. But showing them how that can look. I don't know if it's great for younger kids, but I imagine there's like older kids, right? Who could handle that sort of approach, right? Like this is what conflict can look like. And this is really what it shouldn't. I mean, I think that's something you can start in preschool. I really do. Okay. All right. And I think it's a really beautiful message. That reminder that you can both love and be upset with somebody at the same time is a very, valuable lesson. It is. Yes. Yes. And we've talked about modeling that in our adult relationships too. Like being able to say to the kids, listen, because we had a disagreement doesn't mean we don't love each other. It just means that we had some stuff to work out. I think it helps to model that. Mm -hmm. So they, Mm -hmm. the kids see that they can do that as well. Totally, totally agree. That one is really, really important and being consistent, of course, about it. But I also want to say a note about just, I haven't said anything about ages. I think when you're thinking about this and the what to do, anticipate and like, think about your kids, like, there's certain things we know. The closer in age they are, typically the more conflict that we see. And also there's gender differences sometimes. So only you will know that, right? Sometimes those things just come into play because they might be competing for similar things they like to play with, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. how they're dressed up, those kinds of things. And there's really research to show all of these kind of sibling dynamics play out. The middle child stuff, right? We all joke about it, but Mm. there really is something to it. They do oftentimes feel a little bit more left out or a little bit more uncertain about their position in the family, less secure. So just thinking about that birth order stuff and how that impacts your family, I think can be helpful too. So 
helpful. This is great. I have four, but I have three daughters. There's like two middle kids. There's like all kinds of combinations, but I'm a big birth order fan. I really do feel like it makes a huge difference. Oh yeah. And I'll just add like briefly, like we have a blended family. And so my stepkids are the oldest now and the youngest. Ah. So that means that both my kids became middles. (laughs) (laughs) And you can really see like dynamics change when suddenly you got somebody older than you and somebody younger than you. And maybe you only had one or the other before. Like we could do a whole other episode on that. Oh my gosh. Yes. There is so much there for sure. Like someone who's always been the oldest and now they have someone older than them, but we could talk to you forever, Cheryl, but like, we just want to end on a positive note before we get to our cool picks of the week. Of course, what do you say to parents? They're like, oh my gosh, my kids are at each other's throats. I don't know what to do. Like, what's a really good way for them to get started? Like what's one thing that they can do right now to really change or at least start to change that tense dynamic? So maybe where you start is is by having a sit down with them. And the first thing is telling them that it's normal. Like what they're doing is normal. And so saying like, you know, the last couple of days or last week or whatever, the whole year, you know, you guys have been arguing more. I've been getting more frustrated. And given this whole situation, this is pretty normal, but we're also in some abnormal times. So here are the things that are kind of normal to be expected. Lots of kids and families are going through it and maybe literally write it down. And then here are some of the things that have been going on here that I think are not okay. Maybe they're not so normal. Whatever the word you want to use is typical, normal, okay, whatever. So you basically give them the, here's the green light. It might not be fun, but this is pretty typical. And then here's some of the things going on in our house. This is where we cross the line. This is where we are, mm, I think we're in a red zone. And maybe you make it like that, Mm -hmm. like green, yellow, red, and be really clear about where their behaviors and the positive ones too, where they fall. And then they can also have a different languaging, right? Like that feels like a yellow flag or that feels like yellow behavior. or This is green. Like that. Thanks for the green. Like the little kindergarten charts with like the red, yellow, and green. Totally. Because what I'm trying to do is normalize some of this, right? Because There's some internalization that goes on. If you've been fighting with your sibling all day long, your parent has been frustrated, annoyed about it. When you go to bed at night, you know, they process those things. Mm -hmm. Maybe it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel that good. Yeah. Maybe they think their big brother, big sister is particularly mean, particularly harsh. And even though their experience is real, you're not going to change that. I think hearing the message of either, yeah, they really are. Those are red behaviors or it's kind of sucks, but it's a little greenish and we'll work on it, you know, or yellowish so that they have a sense of what is this? Is this too much? Is this too little for both like on the receiving and the giving end? That would be one tip I'd have. No matter what the age is, I think any kid respond to that. And I like that you started by saying this is normal, but can you just tell us briefly, are there any signs that we should look out for where we realize like it's transcended normalcy and maybe we need a little more help? Yeah. Like the red behaviors. Yes. (laughs) Yes. What are those? I mean, I think if you injure somebody, drawn blood, you've left scratch marks, bite marks, And this stuff happens. So that's why I'm saying it, right? Or a bruise, a black eye, something like that. Or you push them so hard, but they hit their head on the table. You know, physical injury to me, that's too much. Kids definitely can like push each other around and maybe, you know, pull each other's hair or even get rough. But if they are so rough that they don't realize like the coffee table's right there, the corner, something's right there. I probably shouldn't do that. The corner, something's right there. I probably shouldn't do that. I'm not in a wide open area. If they don't have that control over themselves, I think they were probably beyond the zone of what's normal-ish, acceptable. Mm. That would be one thing. I think if they are continuously doing something that you've already reprimanded a few times, 
that's not a good sign, right? So if they call their brother dumb, you're dumb, you're stupid along those lines. And you've talked about it multiple times, like that's not okay. And that's not an okay thing to say. And that's off limits in our house. We don't talk that way. And they continue to do it. That would be a little concerning to me. You know, where's the empathy there? I'd probably be Mm -hmm. working with them Mm -hmm. on empathy and doing things behind your back, like the sneakiness, Uh, doing the things that of course, there's going to always be a little poke, little pinch and you turn around like, oh no, I didn't do it. Right. That's young kid stuff. But the old they get where you start to see maybe what we'd call manipulation Mm -hmm. and it's not just once or twice, but you're kind of like a lot of parents will say that to me. Like, I know this is really weird to say, but my kids like manipulative Mm -hmm. and they seem to like purposely know when I'm not around to get their sibling or do something wrong. And if they do that repeatedly, I think that's a little concerning. Yeah. You know, manipulation to a mild dose is fairly normal, but I think continuously it's something to really pay attention to. I think that's so helpful. I like knowing that most of what we're probably witnessing right now now, especially for a pandemic, is normal and that we can tell our kids that it's normal, even as we try to correct the behavior. And it's good to know like when it's gotten beyond us, because mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. to the idea of moms being miserable, we'd all like to be less miserable these days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you so much. Tell us, where can we find you? Where are you these days on the socials? Do you have a favorite network? Well, I've been doing a lot of mental health tips and things like that on my Instagrams. So it's just at Dr. Cheryl Ziegler. And I have a newsletter. I I've been taking a break this summer, but it's called Notes from the Couch. And I try to kind of share some of the things that are truly going on in my practice and talk about what we did. And that's at my website, drcherylziegler.com. Excellent. And of course, we can find your book, Mommy Burnout, on Amazon or support your local independent bookstore and shop there or go to your library too. That's all good. So listen, I'm glad you're sticking around for cool picks of the week. And since you're our guest, you get to go first. Oh, yay. Well, some of the, I'll just call them like soccer parents, right? Might already be onto this, but I have treated myself this fall to a rocking camping chair. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. (laughs) I'm a field hockey mom. I'm ready for this pick. Right? Like, so (laughs) we have our normal camping chairs and last season, you know, you sit in them for a while and it just feels sort of lame. And then another mom pulls up and she's got this awesome rocking chair. I'm like, wait a second, what's going on? She's like, I know, isn't this awesome? (laughs) So then I sat in it and I was like, I have to have this. And so somebody gave me a gift card and I treated myself to one and it's awesome. Is there a brand you like or a particular one? No, the, hers was from REI and mine was just on Amazon. All right. It's not a brand thing. It's just the ability to rock. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I'm a theater mom, but that would be a lot more comfortable than a lot of the auditoriums I have sat in over the years. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? There's a lot of outdoor theater performances, a lot of outdoor things happening for yeah. obvious reasons. And I've been bringing my chairs to things more than sports. So I am down for the rocking camping chair. Awesome. Okay. Liz, what about you? What do you got? So I've been having some uh, very hot Nights, not in the way I'd like to be <laughs> talking about them, though. I've been having night sweats, Kristen. Super fun. All and right. I wrote about it on Instagram and I got some great <laughs> tips. I should actually write them up because they're really great tips from friends and followers. But the folks at Sleep Number actually happened to see that and they were like, hey, can we send you like we have these cooling sheets? I was like, oh, all right, I'll try anything. Kristen is really good. Ooh, <laughs> they okay. sent me something called a true temp 
blanket. Okay. And it's especially good for couples that might run hot and cold, like have different temperatures because it supposedly balances your temperature. Okay. I don't know what it is or what it does. I like having the weight of a big quilt on me. Yeah. So I was a little worried about having kind of this lightweight quilt, but you know what? It's been fine and it's really helped. Like I I am sleeping more comfortably. And then my partner, Don, who who tends to run cooler, he's been fine too. So we're like, we're very happy. So you can get it from sleep number. It's called the true temp blanket. I can write about it on Pullman Picks so you can find it, but I recommend it. And I'm surprised that I do. I really like it. Okay. That's good. Well, I have a very, 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 very expensive eye gel. (laughs) Oh, I need that too. (laughs) All right. So this is Biosense, B-I-O-S-S-A-N-C-E. It's the Squalane and Peptide Eye Gel. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. So I was in Sephora, was doing some back-to-school shopping. Of course, that's where I did my back-to-school shopping, right? (laughs) I got like every single cream that was possible. But Back to Zoom. Yeah, back to Zoom, back to masking. Right. So people are seeing your eyes. I don't wear lipstick anymore, but I do care about my eyes. It's great. Honestly, it really does help with the puffiness. It's supposed to help with dark circles. I don't know so much about the dark circles, but also it's been a little bit of a stressful few weeks. But I will say the puffiness and I put it on in the morning. I do put it on in the evening, but I also feel like you can reapply. Like, so for instance, if you know you're going somewhere, you're going to a meeting, just put it on. You can really feel it tighten things up. It's not heavy at all. And I really feel like it works. And it's expensive. But it's not like La Mer expensive. No, no, no. It's not like three hundred expensive. But it's it's not drugstore prices. But you just use a tiny bit, honestly. So that's been my new thing. I've only been using it for a few weeks. Like I said, not sure about the dark circles, but definitely with the puffiness. So it's Biosense, the Squalane peptide eye gel. And of course, everything that we talked about, including Cheryl's website, book, podcast, all of the good stuff we talked about in Cool Picks of the Week, we will link up on our podcast page. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Huge thanks to our amazing guest, Dr. Cheryl Ziegler, and of course, to our wonderful engineer, John Bowen. And hey, if you've got a minute and you can leave us a five-star review, uh, yeah, I'm being specific. I'm asking for the order here, Kristen. (laughs) That's what we learned in advertising. Ask for the order. Five-star review. We would greatly appreciate your time by doing that. Also subscribe, download our episodes. It really helps support us and it helps other listeners like you find us. And we are very grateful for all that you do back for us. I have to say, I just quickly, while you were speaking, Liz, looked at our reviews. We have a new review left on August 19th. Well, you're going to laugh. It's five stars. So thank you very much. It looks like it's about 22 lollipop emojis and 30 panda bears. <laughs> so we are sweet and deceptively powerful. Uh, yes, very powerful. And don't forget, when you subscribe and do all those things, you are going to catch some of the most awesome guests. We have an amazing lineup coming this way. So yeah, please, please, do. please subscribe, tell your friends. And of course, thank you so much for listening to Spawned. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.